Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Amanda. Eric, come on. Oh, good. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, you know, I'm, fe- I'm feeling the heaviness of this morning, too. Actually, last night, I, had, uh, I was already aware of uh, the Walmart shooting in uh, El Paso. And then um, I, I just could not believe the uh, tragedy in Dayton, Ohio. I, I just... Uh, so... I, this morning, here's what we're going to do. Let me just tell you what we're going to do. And it's a summary of basically what we're going to be doing for the most of this year. We're going we're to be looking at God's larger story. We're going to um, look at all parts, of the, most of the parts of the Bible to really get an understanding of uh, uh, what God did in creation what happened to the creation to mar it in such a way that we have tragedies uh, in El Paso and, and Dayton, Ohio? Big tragedies and, and small ones. Uh, we're going to look at the redemptive plan that God has to restore all things, as Scotty has said and as Amanda has read. And then we're gonna, we are going to look at the end for just a few moments to get a real, real picture of where we're going. I firmly believe, and one of the reasons we're going to do this as a church together, I firmly believe that if we are going to make sense of our lives, and if you will, our smaller stories, we've really got to have a sense of a larger context. What's happened? Why are we here? Is there hope? Where are we going? And that's the beauty of what we're going to be doing for 36 weeks. For those of you who are on, on a spiritual journey, I would ask you to come with us for 36 weeks because you will see very clearly what the Bible says about God the Creator, what happened to the creation, what God's doing to redeem the creation, and ultimately where He intends to take it. And I think you'll be encouraged. And so I really want to invite you to do that. I also want to say this. I truly believe that there's real, real hope because God keeps his promises. Listen to me. God keeps his promises. Margaret, I think I baptized Hattie, right? Okay, Hattie, I got to baptize you when you weren't aware what was going on, and we prayed for your salvation. And Hattie professed salvation this weekend. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
which is incredible. God has given her hope and a future and great joy to her mama. And I don't know where your daddy is, but, but uh, I'm sure to him too. He, to tell him, we praise God with you guys. And what I want you to see is the reason we baptize our infants is because God extends a promise to us. And he's a God of promises. And while we may not have every explanation this side of eternity, we do know we've got a faithful God who understands everything and will make all things wrong right again. And that's what we're going to spend some time this morning in overview looking at. And really, the next 35, 36 weeks, I'm going to unpack this morning. So will you strap in because we've got a lot of things to talk about. First, we're, and here's the way we're going to do it. We're going to look at creation briefly. We're going to look at what's called the fall briefly. We're going to look at what's called a redemption briefly. And then we're going to look at restoration. So that's the narrative storyline I'm going to follow this morning. So first, let's look at creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, God was, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That's actually the beginning of the Bible. I was in a Bible study Tuesday morning, and I said, man, turn to the beginning of the Bible. Where did everybody turn? Exactly, Genesis chapter 1. That's not the beginning of the Bible. The beginning of the Bible is John chapter 1. When it's revealed to us that God is actually three persons in one being, God a trinity, a person's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why is that so important? Because, number one, we were created in the image of God. And so we are persons. Number two, from all eternity, God has been in relationship. Number three, he's been in a loving, selfless relationship from all eternity. So when he created us, he created us to be in selfless, loving relationship. And when we see tragedies like Walmart and, and what happened in Dayton, Ohio, we, we see front and center in technicolor that this is not the way it's supposed to be. And the beauty of the Bible and the promise, Margaret, you saw fulfilled for Hattie, there's another promise. And that promise is, this is not always the way it will be. And while I don't have any great theological explanation for these immediate circumstances, God offers hope for his people. And remember, biblical hope is never a question if it's going to happen. It's always, always a certainty. It's just a matter of when. And that's great hope. Now... Listen to a description of the living God from the Westminster Confession of Faith. In the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, and the Holy Ghost eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. Now, we could spend... Years talking about that, but do again see we've got three persons in a love relationship from all eternity. And there's a great book that I've referenced a number of times called Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. And Michael's whole point in describing the Trinity, men and women, is we worship a God of love. 
The Apostle John says that in one of the letters that he wrote. We worship a God of love. And when he made us, he made us to love us, to be in love relationship. And when he made individuals, he made us to be in love relationship with each other. You were made for relationship. Now, let me blow your mind a little bit more. God was father before he was creator. Did you ever think about that? He was father before he was creator. He was the father of the son before he ever created. So consequently, when he created us, he created us to be our father. And that's why the father relationship is so important in the culture. And so many men and women of our cultural ills can be traced to the fact that men will not stand up to be fathers. One of the recent presidents said this. Listen to this. <coughs> he said, what makes you a man is not the ability to have a child. It's the courage to raise one. He goes on to say, as fathers, we need to be involved in our children's lives, not just when it's convenient or easy and not just when they're doing well, but when it's difficult and thankless and they're struggling. Men, I want to say to you, those of you men in the room who are fathers or long to be fathers, you have a critical role for the health of any culture. And it's a hallowed and honor role, not in any way to demean or diminish moms in this room. I'm simply focusing on fathers. God has called us, men, those of you who are fathers. God has called us not to a life of leisure, but a life of self-sacrifice. And men, we've got to learn how to walk with God because your walk with God will profoundly affect your children. And your walk with God will profoundly affect your mate. And again and again and again, I see people struggling in relationship and I've struggled in relationship too. But fathers, always remember this. The greatest love you could ever have for your children is to love your wife and not walk out on her. Ever. Another author said this, moving on. We believe the world was made by a God who's a community of persons who've loved each other for, for all eternity. And what does he mean by that? He's simply saying that we were made for connection. Betsy, I so appreciate you mentioning Connect Sunday on August 25th. We're called a community church, and we haven't done a great job of being community. I know so many people have told me, some people have told me, we've had trouble connecting. Men and women, I want to say from this pulpit, you will never have trouble connecting again unless it's your fault. Now, be bold. Now, I'm not going to jerk a knot in your chain, but it's not going to be my fault any longer. Okay? Zero none. Okay? And we're going to take notes of how many times you tell us no. Okay? When you come after me about not having enough community. We want to be connected with each other. 
And men and women, when we're connected with each other, we learn to love each other. Jesus Christ came to tear down the dividing walls of hostility. I'll have more to say about that in just a few moments. People are longing for community. There's a great article in Fast Company about young professionals moving to Nashville. My gosh, have you ever seen so many people moving to a city? Do you realize what it's doing to our real estate values? Praise God. (laughs) Just kidding. Do you know why they're moving to town? Well, some people say it's a lower cost of living. And people do say that. They're moving from New York. But most people say this. We want a sense of community. We want to be connected. And because we were made for that. So what has gone so violently wrong? Well, the Bible knows that as the fall. And let me simply say this about that. Check out the verses in your Bible. You'll see it in Genesis chapter 3. You can throw it up here on the screen. Know know this, that the first two human beings were tempted to become their own gods. The first two human beings were tempted to disobey the living God and not trust his goodness and his love. And when they decided to turn away from the living God, what happened is, is a rupture of relationship. And listen to how the Bible puts it. God called to the man after the man and the woman had disobeyed. Where are you? And here's the man's response. The woman you put here with me, she gave me from the fruit of the tree and I ate it. This is an explanation of everything that's wrong. Everything that's wrong that's happened in your life, everything that's wrong that's happened in the news, it's called the fall. And the description of it is simply this. The woman you gave me and suddenly I became the center of the universe. What's wrong with our culture, what's wrong with our world, what's always been wrong is a consuming self-centeredness. When we turned away from the living God, it can be as small as teaching your child to share his or her beloved toy at the first play date when you introduce another individual into the system, all the way to violence and war. It's a consuming self-centeredness. And that's what the Bible talks about, is the problem. We believe that the world was made by a God who's a community of persons who've loved each other from all eternity. You're made. Listen to this. This is from Tim Keller and the Reason for for God. If you're not a Christian, I would urge you to read uh, that book, The Reason for God. If you are a Christian, I would urge you to read that book. Listen to what he says. You were made for mutually self-giving, other-directed love. Self-centeredness destroys the fabric of what God has made. There it is. Self-centeredness tears up relationship. Self-centeredness tears up community. Self-centeredness tears up countries and causes countries to go to war. You know, if you want a fascinating sociological study of what sin can do to people, just look at or read about Westworld with HBO. It is a fascinating study 
in psychology. Fascinating. Listen to what one, one, um, one critic said about uh, this series. Suppose we had robots perfectly identical to men, women, and children, and we were permitted by law to interact with them in any way we pleased. How would you treat them? That's the whole premise of Westworld. And listen to one of the characters, Bernard, talking to one of the robots, Dolores. And when he says this, you and everyone you know were made to gratify the desires of everyone who paid to visit your world. And I'll tell you something. I've done a lot of reading about this show. I've never really seen it because of some of the elements of it that are not good for me personally. But I've read enough to know it portrays what's wrong. When sin is let loose. And now we're dealing with this latest tragedy. And the politicians will begin to fight about gun control. And all these other things. And we won't. Will we ever get to the larger issues? And what do we do with things like the whole situation of sexual exploitation currently being played out with the whole Jeffrey Epstein saga? How do we explain evil? Well, the Bible says it's simply a consuming self-centeredness. And men and women, I've got to tell you something. That's the best explanation I've ever read. That's the best explanation. I uh, admire Sam Harris. He's one of the young atheists. And he attacks. I admire him for his clarity. I don't like his position. He attacks Christianity. In, in, I, I say attacks Christianity. He's seeking to dismantle Christianity. And his basic argument is Christianity has, uh, does not have a good explanation for evil. Well, men and women, here's what I want to say. Number, number one, let me say this about that. I have searched and searched and searched and never seen Sam Harris himself give his view of evil. Christianity says clearly that evil comes from a consuming self-centeredness, not from God. And we're dealing with it ad infinitum, ad nauseum. And the question is, what has God done about it? That's the question. And that's where we turn the corner. Are you so happy when you're reading a very difficult story and you know something has changed? Something's turned. Well, I want to tell you, the gospel is absolutely beautiful. Romans chapter 3, in a nutshell, describes the gospel like this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is the fall. For all have sinned. And at the core, have a consuming self-centeredness. And yet Paul goes on to write, the author of Romans, and are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now again, these words could be each unpacked over weeks of sermon topics. But let me distill it down for you. This is the beauty, the beauty of what God has done to save 
a self-consumed world. He just offers justification. What does that mean? That simply means this. That when he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, listen. The second person of the Trinity actually became, or if you will, the second person of the Trinity, who is other-centered love, fleshed out that other-centered love in life by becoming a human being without ceasing to be God. And so if you read the Gospels over and over and over again, you see the way Jesus interacted with people, and it's absolutely astounding in the way he expresses love for people. A leper who had leprosy for years and years and years said, I want to be healed. And what does Jesus do? The first thing he does is not heal him. You know what he did? He reached out and touched him. And then he healed him. Why? Because the man hadn't been touched for years. And in an act of love, reached out and touched him. And then healed him. He healed him of his isolation. And that's what Jesus has come to do for us. Now, think about this. There was a time when a a, a widow was actually in a funeral procession with her son dead. And she was coming out of a town called Nain. Men and women, you know this happens. We've lost another student here in town to a tragic drowning And so she's lost her only son. And do you know where she's headed? She's headed towards the tomb where her husband has already been buried to bury her son there. And what does Jesus do? Well, in a brilliant, brilliant display of pastoral care, he walks right up to the funeral procession and says, why are you crying? (laughs) I always laugh about that because pastoral care is so important. He says, why are you crying? And then he raises the son from the dead. Men and women, I can't explain it except it's God in the flesh. And what was tragic is now euphoric. And that's Jesus. He's come to redeem. He does those beautiful things, but that pales in comparison to what he was willing to do. Because he so loved the world. And that was his willingness to go to the cross. And when he died on the cross, the perfect law keeper, that which is required of us, died for the lawbreaker who would place his or her faith in him. When Jesus died on the cross, obeying God all the way to the end, not my will, but your will be done. When he died on the cross... He assumed the sins of all those who would. He would took on himself all the sins of those who would believe in him. Crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you and I will not, those of us trusting Christ will not be forsaken. Will not be forsaken to evil. Will not be forsaken to tragedy. This is not all there is. And the cross says boldly, this is how sinful I am. And yet, that's not the final word. This is how loved I am. That's what the cross says. He's our substitute. 
taking what we deserved so that he could give us what we don't deserve. And that's redemption. And so now, men and women, by the power of his indwelling Holy Spirit, when you place your faith in Christ, actually the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, indwells you. And listen to a description of who you become. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. And the Son of God who loved me gave himself for me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. Do you realize the consuming self-centeredness is not something that you and I have to leash? It's not something that you and I have to ultimately defeat. It's actually by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ changed. Jesus deals with that. The core problem in all humanity. Jesus deals with consuming self-centeredness. And when we come to faith in Christ, guess what? The center of our being dwells. In the center of our being dwells the spirit of the Lord Jesus, who's other-centered love. And when he begins that work in you, he'll bring it to completion. And that means, men and women, guess what? What Amanda read is actually something we can participate in helping bring to reality. That restoration, I love it. You know what Scotty said about the sea? The sea in the Bible represents most often chaos. And there's no sea because the chaos of evil will no longer be. But men and women, that's the end of time. What do we do from now until then? You know what we do as the people of God? We don't insulate ourselves from the world. We engage with the world. Men and women... I get as overwhelmed as you do about all the media of all the tragedy. And I may not be able to do anything about Walmart in El Paso. But we sure together can do something about Nashville. We sure together can engage and not pull out. We can teach our children to love. And not look down on. Because I want to tell you, if we're ever going to see, for example, racism dealt with in our country, first we've got to look within. Because in some form or fashion, I personally believe that all of us struggle with that. Because racism is nothing but a form of, I'm better than you are. And that is not true. And it'll shatter relationship every time. And ultimately, if it's played out, it leads to things like violence. And Jesus has come to tear down the dividing walls of hostility. Why? Because instead of destroying people, we're actually called to lay down our lives for people. Why? Because they bear the image of God. We don't lay down our lives for people for what they do for us. We lay down our lives for people because of what Jesus has done for us. And therefore, when Jesus says, love your enemy, the only reason he says that is that he loved you when you were his enemy. And when he says, love your enemy, he doesn't leave you to your own devices to do it. He gives you your spirit to do that which you can't do yourself. That's the beauty of the gospel. Every, every evil 
is ultimately because we're consumed with self. And Jesus, by faith, can make us selfless. He can and will. Now, we're going to spend some time in the coming weeks and months looking at God's larger story of where we're going and how it's going to turn out and what it's going to be. And I want you to realize, through faith in Christ, this world is as bad as it's going to get. And one day it's going to be better. And in fact, one day it's going to be perfect. All things will be made, made new. And we will be complete in that.